Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 26. We're continuing our study of the book of Genesis. And, of course, we're seeing in this section the focus is on Isaac, the son of Abraham. He is often called, as we've said many times, the forgotten man. There he is. He's the forgotten man. Because, see, there's a lot of chapters dealing with Abraham, and there's a lot of stuff dealing with Jacob. But there's not very much done with Isaac. And, and as we think about his life in particular, this is the sort of the main chapter that's actually devoted to him. And we call him the forgotten man. He is often called the son of Abraham and the father of Jacob. He is a quiet, ordinary man who really could be a picture of all of us because we're ordinary people seeking to please God. He was a man of faith, a man blessed by God. We see he did some things wrong, as everyone does and as everyone in the Scripture does, and we'll see how that fits together. This evening, we see his time living among the Philistines. And last time there was conflict and envy by the Philistines. Tonight we're going to see God's blessings upon upon Isaac, and we see that uh, the Philistines even recognize the blessing. I mean, they look at his life and they go, everything this guy does turns out good. There's a truth that stands out, and it is this that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings sorrow and loss of testimony. That's the way it is in our lives. If we do what's right, if we live according to the Scripture, we live a righteous and godly life, there'll be blessings in our life. If we disobey the Word of God, there'll be sorrow and there'll be t- the loss of testimony, and we'll see those kind of things. May we learn from the life of Isaac tonight. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord. What a fun time we have. Thanks for the music and the songs. that were great songs, Lord. Thank you for the, taking the time. Uh, taking over for Stephen as he's gone, and we're so glad for that. And, Lord, we just thank you for um, the privilege that we have to study the Word of God, Lord, and we may learn from these these Old Testament saints, these Old Testament believers. Uh, Lord, teach us now. Lord, we just ask you that as we study, we'll continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, as children, we most of the time want, want to please our parents. We want them to be proud of us because we, we want to do what they wanted us to do. Sometimes we fail, sometimes it hurts. At the end of this passage tonight, we see that Isaac makes decisions that bring hurt and sorrow and pain to his parents. Notice at the very end, the very last verse says, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. It's the people that he married. He went ahead and married pagan women, Hittite women. This was against what Abraham had told him, and this is what Isaac had told him. They're not supposed to do that, and, and we'll see what, what he does, what Esau does. And, of course, Esau has been called sometimes the godless man. We saw Esau as a man who cares about the temporal, the, the things, whatever's going on right this second, and we'll see more about it as we go through it. We realize that whenever we disobey, we bring sorrow both to ourselves and others, and oftentimes a loss of testimony. As we finish chapter 26 tonight, and it won't take us that long to go through it, there's good stuff in there, two key things will stand out. One is the faithfulness of God. He always does what He said. Whether we're faithful or not, He always does what He said. That's why in this morning we talked about the whole idea of salvation. And you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. He gives you eternal life. He is faithful to do exactly what He said. It's not based on your faithfulness or my faithfulness. We can't say, I'm going to be faithful and then I know I'm saved. No, we're saved because Jesus Christ saves us. It is always the faithfulness of God. And the second is, how should we respond to God and His faithfulness in our lives? As we go through that, we'll see that. And we'll see that sometimes there's right things and sometimes there's wrong things. But uh, there's some good things there. Let's begin. Isaac, this is, this is the only chapter devoted to him. It's kind of amazing about it. We saw last time in the, about the first 22 verses uh, that he moved to live among the Philistines. It's kind of a strange thing. But he does that. And I want you to notice something that's going to get a little running start. Look back at verse uh, 3 and 4. Now, remember, there was a famine, and so he decided to move down 
to to be among the Philistines. And the Lord told him, don't go to Egypt, stay there. And when he got there, notice verse 3 of Genesis 26. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And he goes back and restates the covenant. You remember God made a covenant with Abraham. He promised him the blessing, the land, the seed. All of that would be for Abraham. It would be a land that they would have that he would give to Abraham and his descendants. Now Abraham never actually possessed it in that same way. He got one little area where he was buried, he and Sarah. But that, that uh, he's got the land, the seed, of course, is going to be the people coming through him, and the ultimate seed will be the Messiah, and the blessing will be the Messiah will come through him, will be the Savior of the whole world, so all the nations of the world will be blessed. Notice what he says. I will multiply, verse 4, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Now, he's saying the same thing to Isaac that he said to Abraham. And all these lands, and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's exactly what he told Abraham. So what he's doing is he's coming to Isaac and he's giving him the exact same promises. Now, one of the one of the problems sometimes is that when even though that Isaac got the same promises as his father, he also did some of the same things that his father did. We would say one of the mistakes that Abraham had made is you remember that he went and said that Sarah was his sister because he was afraid these people might kill him. Notice verse 9, the same thing that Isaac does. Uh, he, he went there and, uh, well, go, go uh, look at verse 6. So Isaac lived in Gear, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. He's afraid to say my wife, thinking the men might kill him because the kind of Rebekah was so beautiful. Same thing that Abraham did with Sarah. In verse 9, Abimelech calls uh, Isaac to him and says, she's your wife. How did you say she was your sister? He said, well, I was afraid y'all might die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done? One of the people might have lain with your wife and would have brought guilt upon us. So we saw last time that here's a pagan king basically getting on the promised man. That's what it is. Well, notice verse 12 and 13, because God totally blesses Isaac. Now, Isaac sowed the land and reaped in that year a hundredfold. Now, that's a lot. A hundredfold is a lot. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became very rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And so God continues to bless Isaac. Now, why is he blessing Isaac? Because Isaac's such a great person? No, because God made a promise to Abraham that will go through Isaac, that will go through Jacob, that will go through Judah, that will go through the nation of Israel, that God made a promise that he would bless, there would be a land, there would be a seed, there would be a blessing, all of those kind of things. Well, things are, are looking good, but problems developed. Notice verse 16. Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Abimelech recognized, even though Abimelech was the king of Gerah and he was a powerful man, he recognized that God was blessing Isaac so much that if he stayed around, he was going to get richer and richer and more and more powerful. And so uh, Abimelech's a little bit worried about this. So he actually says, Isaac, I want you to leave. I want you to get out of here. You're too powerful for us. You're too powerful for us. Now, something you may not understand or may not remember, if you go back to the time of Abraham... Abraham made an agreement with a man by the name of Abimelech who had a commander named Phico. Same as here. Now, there's a question. Is, is this Abimelech that's talking with Isaac the same Abimelech that talked with Abraham? If it is, he's older man, much older. Many believe that it is. Some say no, it's just like maybe his son, but they all went by the same title, Abimelech, and Phico went by the same title. I personally think it's probably the same man. And I think what he saw is he saw God blessed Abraham. So he made a deal with Abraham so that they would stay friends. 
We're going to see that before this chapter is over, that Abimelech is going to do the same thing with Isaac because he's worried that Isaac's going to get too powerful for him. So watch what he does. He first of all just tells Isaac to leave. Abimelech, verse 16, Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You're too powerful for us. So Isaac departed from there and and camped in the valley of Gerah and settled there. So he left where he was. And the Philistines were envious of Isaac, the blessings from God, the conflict. So Isaac moves back, and he's going to end up going down to Beersheba. Look at verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. If you look on a map, and I didn't put a map up tonight, but if you look on a map of Israel, uh, Beersheba is really the southernmost part that they would live in in what they call the land. So he's way down south in the Negev. Negev means the southern part. He's down there in this town called Beersheba. His father Abraham lived there a lot. And they had a bunch of wells there and they made some promises there and all kind of things. So he moves down there. Now remember, they're nomadic people. They moved around a lot. They have certain little areas that, like up over at the, the Oaks of Mamre and that place that, that he bought that land. You remember he purchased that land so he could bury Sarah and that that would be their place, their burial for their family. But they moved around all the time. They just didn't, you know, pitch a place and stay there. They had the tents and they moved. And so he's moved way south to Beersheba where Abraham lived a lot of that time as well. Now I want you to see something. Hold your place in 26 and go back to chapter 21 for just a second. I want you to see this is the same place that Abraham made an agreement with Abimelech years before. Go back to chapter 21 and look at verse 22. It came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying... Now, let's stop for a minute. This is the same name, Abimelech, and the same name, Phicol, commander of the army, that we see at the same time of Isaac. It's probably the same people, even though it's a longer time. And look what he says to Abraham. God is with you in all that you do. That's the same thing they're going to say to Isaac. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal false with me or any of my offspring or my posterity, but according to the kindness that I've shown to you, you will show to me and the land to which you sojourn. Now why is Abimelech afraid that Abraham, this is Abraham he's talking to here, might lie to him? Why? Because what did Abraham already do? Lied about his wife, lied about Sarah. So uh, this man named Abimelech is worried that Abraham, since Abraham is so blessed by God, that he might lie to him and take advantage of him. So he says, from now on, I want, I want you not to deal falsely with me or with my offspring, but I want you to show kindness to me the way I've shown it to you. And Abraham swore that he would. Look down at verse 28. Abraham set seven lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, because they were talking about a well and the covenant and everything. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what, what are these seven lambs for? Why, why have you set them aside? And he said, you shall take these seven lambs from my hand so there will be witnesses that I dug this well. Now watch. Therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them made an oath. And Beersheba has an idea of seven because there's a word that's seven wells, seven lambs. We'll talk about it in a little bit later. Go back to chapter 26. So you can see earlier in Abraham's life, he did the same thing. Abimelech came down and said, you need to make an agreement with me because you're so powerful. I've always treated you right. You're going to treat me right. But you lied in the past, so I want you to make a covenant with me that there'll be an agreement. And they made the agreement. And Abraham got that well in Beersheba. Now, let's see what happens when Isaac returns to Beersheba. 
Now this is a special place. Notice verse 24. The Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Now, this is what they call a theophany. Theophany is a God appearing. It doesn't say how God appeared. It doesn't say what form he took. It just says the Lord appeared to him. And, as, you know, when we read the Bible, sometimes we, uh, we just read it so fast, we don't stop and think, what was it like that night? What if Abraham was there? What does it look like? Is it like a, a fiery thing or, or just a voice or some appearance somehow, uh, some, something that looked like a person? Whatever it was, God says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Over and over in the Scripture, God says, I'm the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, and the father of Jacob. Now, if you think of the three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who do you think God says more in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture, who does he say more that he's the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, or the father of Jacob? What would you think? If you're just guessing. You say Abraham because everybody says Abraham's the great one. Abraham was the first one he picked out. And he says, Abraham, I'm the, fa- you know, I'm the God of Abraham. Abraham's the man of faith. You would say Abraham. No. What about Isaac? I mean, he only got one chapter, right? So in that going to be, who do you think it is? It's Jacob. What's Jacob's name? Well, what's his name mean? Deceiver. He's the, he's the God of the deceiver. He says he is the God of Jacob and Israel more than any other name. So when he says that I am the God of your father Abraham, this is the key thing. And then he says... Do not fear. Now, when God says to not be afraid, why does he say that? Because they're afraid. Now, what's he afraid of? I mean, you know, the angel came to Mary. Do not be afraid. The angel came to Joseph. Do not be afraid. The angel came to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. When angels come, they're, they're powerful beings that always scares people. But here's God appearing. Maybe God is, maybe he's afraid because he saw with this appearance. But what do you think he's afraid of? Why would God say, do not fear? What's going on? You remember that, see, all the promises were to Abraham. And, and now God has come back to him earlier and said, same promises to you. And he's moved down to Beersheba where, where God did all this stuff with Abraham and he's, he's, he's afraid. He's wondering, what's going to happen to me? What, what is going to happen? And God says, don't be afraid. I am with you. By the way, we don't have to be afraid, do we? Because he's always with us. We think about our lives. We come together like tonight, and it's fun, you know. We can sing songs and talk with each other. And, and, and we feel a, a closeness and a stability because we're with our friends and we're with people who believe the same way, and we have a great time. And then we leave. And some of you, when you leave, you, you, you're by yourself. You go home by yourself. And some, we just go in families. And, but, but we're still, when you get up in the morning and you go to work or you go somewhere, you're mostly by yourself. And you have to say to yourself, how am I going to make it through this life? God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? We don't have to be afraid as we go into a fallen world and we go into a world that's contrary to everything we believe and what we want to do. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13. Matthew 28, what did he say? And lo, I'm with you always till the wind, to the end of the age. And so he says, listen, I'm the God of your father Abraham. You don't have to be afraid, Isaac. I'm the same God who took care of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Those are some great words, you know. 
You know, when Moses gets ready to lead the children out and around, and God says to him, your people have done, the people have done very poorly. Uh, I'm not going to go with you. And, and Moses said, but I'm not going if you're not going. I'm not going. I'm not going to try to lead these people if you don't go, because there's no possible way we can make it if you're not there with us. There's no possible way that we can live the Christian life if it is not God's strength through us. There's no possible way. That's why it's so good to know He's with us. Now, notice this. Here's the blessing. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. There's blessing. God's word is always true and will come to pass. He says, I'm going to multiply your descendants. And it's, it's really Abraham's descendants there when he's talking about this. But he's talking to Isaac. There is the same promise to Abraham and to, to him. Uh, for the sake of my servant Abraham, I'll bless you and I'll multiply your descendants. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Isaac's descendants there. But the idea goes all the way back to Abraham. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. All right, think about this. Abraham had how many, how many sons? That way we count. There were others, but the, there's two main ones, Isaac and Ishmael. And Isaac had how many sons? Two, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. And they became known as the twelve tribes of Israel because that's Jacob's other name, Israel. They're the twelve descendants. It's powerful. Now, there are two things here I think is wonderful. He says, I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of, because of, why? My servant Abraham. Two things. First of all, it's for Abraham's sake. You realize the covenant originally was made with Abraham. And it's being passed down through the sons. And we're going to study. And as we keep on studying, we get on up in those other chapters, we're going to see God comes to Jacob, the son of Isaac, and he says exactly the same thing. He makes exactly the same promises of the covenant. Because when God makes a promise, he says, Abraham, and to your descendants, and he picks out Isaac, and Isaac, and your descendants, and he picks out Jacob, and he says, Jacob, and your descendants. That's the way it's going to be. God does it. He fulfills the promises to Israel. There's the second thing, and that's the key. And it's the, Oh, I'm sorry, go back. It's the servant. The other way. Keep going. There we go. The second part is that he said, servant Abraham. He calls Abraham and his servant. He was not only a man of faith, but he served God. And that's the key for us. The key for us is to serve God. In fact, the greatest thing we could ever be called, when you stand before Jesus Christ, what do you want him to call you? Well done, good, and faithful what? Servant. That's what we want to be. And when we think about it, servant, go ahead, Jesus Christ taught, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. And when we stand before him, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the key of our lives is to be servants. And are we servants of Jesus Christ? Abraham was called the servant of God. We need to be called the servants of God. How do we do it? Two things. We use the gifts that God's given us in the places of ministry. Every one of us in this room, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, and all of us know Christ as Savior, that's my assumption, but I know most of you personally. So if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have at least at least one spiritual gift. You may have more than one spiritual gift. You have at least one. You're to use those gifts, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, for the glory of God and the service of God. And so whatever your gifts are, and you may say, well, I don't know my gifts. We have a, that when people join our church, we have a, a, a spiritual gifts inventory that we give them, and they can fill it out, and we're not saying that it tells you this is your spiritual gift or gifts, but it gives you ideas of where your strengths are, and you can say, well, based on this, it looks like this is my gift, or this is my gift. What you need to do is know what your gifts are. 
so that you can serve based according to your gifts. Because you've heard me say this many times, but when you serve in the area of your giftedness, you will be excited, it, you will love to do it, you will not burn out, you, will, you, you get tired sometimes, but you will never burn out. When you serve in the area that you're not gifted, you will burn out. You will be frustrated because you're not gifted in those areas. And that's why it's so important that where your gifts are, that's where you serve. And that's very powerful. The second aspect is the place of ministry. And as you take wherever God puts you in the places and you use them for his glory. Notice what, what he did. Let me read the verse again. Verse 24. The Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the father. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. You don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. Why am I going to do this? For the sake of of my servant, Abraham. So how did he respond? Look what he did. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Why they dig a well? Why do you dig a well? Well, you got to have some water, right? But you know you dig a well because you're going to stay there. That's the plan. Stay there for a while. Why? Because God came to him and said, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm always with you. I'm going to bless you. And so notice how he puts this. So he built an altar there. What do you do with an altar? You worship. That's exactly what you do. And that's what he's going to do. Notice what he did. He called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I want, I want you to know this. We've talked about this many times. Sometimes people look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. and says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they're sometimes confused and think that in order to have eternal life salvation, you must publicly confess Jesus or do something. You know, that's what calling upon the name of the Lord means. That's what they think. Well, calling upon the name of the Lord is used about 58 times in the Scripture. Uh, I think uh, every one but three is Old Testament. And every place it's call upon the name of the Lord. It is either call upon the name of the Lord in worship and praise or call upon the name of the Lord to be delivered from an enemy. It's every time. There are no exceptions. And so when it says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, it's talking about a physical deliverance. It's not talking about eternal life salvation. So he called upon the name of the Lord here as an act of worship. It's powerful. He responded to God to who he is and what he's done. And, you know, that's what we need to do. We need to worship. Because what is worship, really? Worship it should say worship is responding to God. Worship is responding to God. That's what it is. And a lot of times people think the music's worship. I mean, have you, have you ever said, oh, I really love the worship today, and you meant the music? That's okay. Worship, singing and, 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 and giving praise to God is worship. But so is giving. So is praying. So is studying the Word. So is making application of the Word. Because all of that is responding to God. So worship is more than just a music part of when you come together. So worship is responding to God. It's very powerful. And it's two things, I think, when you think about it. It's who He is. He's the God, the Savior, and the Creator. And it's what He has done. He has saved us by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And when we trust in Him. So when you think about worship... Worship is recognizing who he is and what he has done. Responding to him. Responding to him in praise and adoration and song and all of those kind of things. So he built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now I want you to think about this. You remember when we talked about Abraham and we talked about how rich he was and he had all these soldiers, he had 318 fighting men and he had all these people. I want you to picture the same thing about Isaac. Isaac is not just Isaac in one little tent. 
There's all, he's got servants. He's got a lot of people. That's why they asked him to move away because he was so powerful. He was so rich and he was so wealthy and they were afraid of him. So here he is. He's moved down to Beersheba and God has come to him and he has, he has, uh, given him the, the blessings again, told him about everything. Now watch. Let's see what happens because Abimelech's going to come again. Now let me ask you a question without, without thinking through it a second. Why do you think Abimelech's going to come down and see Isaac. Why did Abimelech come down and see Abraham back in chapter 21? Why did he come to see him? He was what? He was, he was powerful. He was afraid of him. He wanted to make an agreement with him so that he didn't, he didn't want Abraham to do something to him. Okay, watch this. Verse 26, Then Abimelech came down to him from Gerah with his advisor Ahuzah, and guess who? Phicol, the commander of his army. That's the same people. Now, Ahuzah wasn't there the first time, but but Abimelech and Phicol was. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and you sent me away from you? That's pretty strong words. But he said, You hate me and you sent me away. Why have you come to me? Why have you done this? And so what does he say? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let's make a covenant with you. Let's stop for a second. They said, we plainly see that God is blessing you. And I think they're saying, we're actually afraid of you because we don't know what's going to happen. You, you're getting more and more powerful and everything you do is blessed and you plant some crops and it's a hundredfold and you get this and you got this and you have these animals and it's this. So we're afraid of you. And so we've decided that we've, we plainly see the Lord is with you, so let, we need an oath. We need an agreement between us. Same thing that Abraham did. They made an oath with Abraham so Abraham wouldn't bother them. They were afraid of Abraham. Now they're afraid of Isaac. Let this be an oath between us and you, and let us make a covenant with you, look at verse 29, so that you will do us what? No harm. They're afraid of him. Just as we've not touched you, have done, we've done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Now, you notice that statement? He didn't say, we know you're blessed of the Lord. That's not what he said. What did he say? You are the blessed of the Lord. He's saying, we recognize out of all the people around us, you're getting all the blessing from God. Why would Isaac be the blessed one of the Lord? Because the promise what? Made to Abraham. Abraham to Isaac. Isaac's going to make it. Same thing's going to happen to Jacob. Now, if you've been reading ahead, the next chapter is um, one of the wildest chapters in the Bible because this is where Abraham, where Isaac decides that he will go contrary to God and his word on purpose. And he's going to do something that he knows is wrong and he thinks he can get away with it. And he can't. He cannot change God's plans. And we'll see that next time when we go through that. But let's keep looking. I just wanted you to see that. Uh, So they said uh, that you will do us no harm. We've not touched you. We've done nothing to you but good. We've sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. You're the one. Here's a pagan king recognizing that God is blessing Isaac. So they're going to have a party. They're going to have a celebration. Then he made a feast. And they ate and drank. Why are they doing this? Because in that culture, how do you do this? You sit down, you eat, you drink, you make an agreement. Usually, if you're going to make a covenant, what did you do? What did you have to do? You took an animal. 
You usually took an animal and you killed an animal and you cut it in two. Cut an animal in half. That's pretty gross, isn't it? Take this animal, cut it in two, you put it over there. And, and the two people making the covenant grab arms and they walk in between that cut animal. That's signing the covenant. That's called cutting a covenant. It goes back to cutting that animal in two. It's saying that we're walking between that animal. And what they're really saying is that if any of us violates the covenant, we're going to get cut in two. <laughs> That's sort of the deal. And so they made a feast. They ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. They're assuming that Isaac will keep his word. Now, what did he do? You remember Abraham lied about his, his wife, Sarah. Did Isaac do exactly the same thing to the same king about the same issue? You know, you could almost see Abimelech saying, you know, these Jews, they lie about their wives. I don't understand the deal. It's just the same thing all the way down. Now, when we get to Jacob, he's going to have a lot of wives. Now, let me ask you a sentence, and I just want you to think about this for a second. What's, a, what's a Jacob's name mean? Deceiver. And you know the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he's the deceiver and he deceives people, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen? He's going to reap what he sows. He's going to get deceived. You know, what, what, what does he get deceived about? You remember? Now, he deceives his father, doesn't he? Doesn't he go in there and pretend to be his brother? Deceives again? When is he going to get deceived? Do you remember? He wants to marry who? Rachel. She's pretty good looking. It says Rachel is beautiful. Gorgeous. He wants to marry her. She's got a sister that is not so hot. Right? Well, it calls her sad eyes. That's all it means. It actually is not, it's not a negative term. In fact, it means pleasant. She was probably fine. She just wasn't like Rachel. Because he liked Rachel. So what happens to him on wedding night? Marries the wrong one. Who deceived him? Her daddy. You can almost hear him saying, Boy, whatsoever you sow, you reap. What goes around comes around. Well, watch what happened after they left. Now it turned about on that same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, We found water. This is great. So they called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So they cut the covenant. They dug the well. Beersheba means the well. I think it means the, means the well of the seven. Seven what? Seven wells? It's not seven wells, is it? Do you remember why it's called the well of the seven? Huh? Because when Abraham did his oath back all those years ago, what did he have? The seven sheep. That's why it's called the well of the seven. That's why it's called Beersheba in the south. Because Abraham made that covenant with those guys and he had those sheep. Now it ends sad at this stage. Of course it's going to get a lot worse. But it says when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. He marries two Hittite women. They're Philistine women. They're pagan women. At the age of 40, he marries pagan women. What is the response? And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Why would they bring grief? Well, a couple of reasons. Grief to the parents. Why? Because they're pagan. They're not Jewish. They're, 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 not, they're not believing, best we can tell. Of course, we're not sure where um, Esau stands. 
A lot of people want to say Esau was not a believer. We don't know that. We know he was. God. We know that he uh, cared about the things of this world rather than things of God. But we don't know whether he's a believer or not. But he marries pagan women, and notice it's two women. You could say, "What's wrong with that?" Everybody else has got a couple of them, right? That means Jacob going to end up with going to get four, and he gets two, and then he gets two of the handmaids with him, and ends up with four women. Was Esau supposed to marry Hittite women? Supposed to marry Jewish women? Well, what have we seen? Isaac goes to the area of the Philistines. Isaac lies, hurts his testimony, has conflict with the Philistines. God reminds him of the covenant, blesses him. Abimelech comes down and makes a covenant, and Esau ends by marrying pagan women. Now, if you haven't ever read chapter 27, you need to read it between now and next week. It will break your heart because the deceit... The, it, it, you know, when we think of the Bible people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of that, and we think well, everything was good, they had a terrible home life. Isaac and, and, uh, uh, and Rebecca, it was terrible. You'd think it was great, but it was terrible. They showed favoritism. Isaac loved uh, Esau, and Rebecca loved Jacob, and the boys didn't get along, and the mom and daddy did not communicate, and they lied to each other, and they went around behind each other's backs. And they did all of this. And you think, these are these are supposed to be the patriarchs. These are supposed to be the, the main people of the Bible. They are. They're just like us, aren't they? Just like us. Let me give you some applications. First of all, the first one is that God keeps his promises. He does. God remembers his covenant with Abraham, and he renews the covenant and blessings with, uh, with uh, Isaac. God always keeps his word. He always does what he says. Think about this. Think about our promises. First of all, what does he promise to us? He says, I give you what? eternal life, and you shall never perish. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We have everlasting life. And that is a promise from God, and He keeps that promise. He says, I will provide for you and protect you. He says, I will give you everything you need to live. I will provide for you. I'll never leave you. I'll protect you. All of those are promises of God. And everything that He's ever said to us, everything that is ever a promise to us, now not everything in the Bible is a promise to us, but whenever you find in the Scripture promises directly to us and the things that we can apply, you can count on those. So what's our response? And the first one is, let's, let's worship him. What did, what did Isaac do when God came to him and renewed the covenant that he made with Abraham? What did he do? He built an altar and worshiped God. How should we respond to God and his promises in our lives? We should worship him. We respond to who he is and what he's done. He's our God. He's our creator. He's the sovereign ruler of all things. He has saved us. He has given us provisions. What we should do is every morning... When we get up, we should say, first of all, thanks for another day. Because he didn't have to give you another day. He didn't have to give us one. And we say, thank you for another day. Thank you for providing. Thank you for protecting. Thank you for all that you've done. I worship you for who you are, my God and Savior, and for what you've done. The second thing is let's serve him. Because he's called Abraham God's servant. We're supposed to serve him. As Abraham was God's servant, we serve the living God as well. We're to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. And I mean, that's what I hope and pray. Let me tell you, if we could change anything about the church, the body of Christ, it would be that if we could get every person who is trusted in Christ to realize that they are needed and that their gifts, talents, and abilities are needed within the body, and if they would step forward and use the gifts, talents, and abilities that they have, if we could get people to do that, the whole world would be changed. Because in reality, in a normal church, about 
80% of the people do not serve in any way, shape, or form. And about 20% of the people do almost all of the ministries. If you could get the 80% to just use their gifts and talents and to do something. See, because some people are just wearing themselves out because they're actually serving in areas that they're not gifted. And they're doing that because nobody else has stepped forward to do it. If we could all just say, I'm going to do, I'm going to serve in one area. Just serve in one area. Find a place that fits your gifts, talents, and abilities and say, I'm going to serve God. The whole world would be changed. So we want to do that. So let's worship Him. Let's serve Him. The second one is, is just remember this, that our actions have results. That disobedience brings sorrow and loss of testimony. Obedience brings blessing. Uh, whenever we live righteously and godly in this present age, there's going to be blessing in our lives. Whenever we disobey, there's going to be sorrow and loss of testimony. You see it in the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac, the life of Jacob, the life of David. You go all the way through the Scripture to every person. That's what we see. There are consequences to our action. There are good things that happen when we live right. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that she also reap. If he sows of the flesh, he reaps of the flesh what? Corruption. That's the consequence. If you sow of the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit what? It's eternal life. So when you do the right things, there's blessing. When you do the wrong things, there's disobedience. May we worship and serve our faithful God who keeps His promises as we seek to live a life in obedience so that we can be examples to other people, not only to our family, but to others as well. We've seen a lot in this, and, and, and next week is, a, is one, of the, it's one of the most powerful passages I think you'll find in the Bible because you see the sovereignty of God in the actions of people and how God still works in everything, even when we try to do something wrong. We see that God is working. Let me pray. We'll open up for any questions or comments. Heavenly Father, thanks for the great passage tonight as we look at what happened. We see that Isaac comes down and you make the covenant back with him again and you take the same promises to Abraham and you bless him and he responds in worship. And we see how uh, there's a covenant made with Abimelech and those those guys and how, once again, they just have to trust you that uh, we do that. And then, Lord, we see even at the end where Esau, what he does that, that brought grief to his family. Lord, we just want to realize that what we do has consequences our actions have results. We want to live righteously and godly so that we can have blessing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you keep your promises. May we respond in worship and service of our great God and Savior. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions or comments? Anything about the passage you want to talk about? Or anything else, really? Yes? We could probably figure it up. I didn't do it. It is a good. It's a. It's a, a good period of time, and so sixty years. And so it, it could be that Abimelech was a young king in the early things, and then and then, because you have to figure out based on Abraham's age, the age when Isaac was born, try to figure that out. And put it in. That was that. Do you have a Rari study Bible? What Bible was that? A Rari study Bible that put those notes. It's a, just a numerical standard study Bible. I don't know. But it's a good period of time, and that's why a lot of people say, if this this may not be the same Abimelech, it may be a title. I've said, I think it probably is. Uh, he comes down and does the same thing, exactly. And we see that the, the, the descendant Abraham and Isaac do exactly the same thing. So that's how I look at it. So that study Bible says it's 60 years. I could look it back up. I just didn't, I, I didn't take the time to look it up. I should have. Okay. What else? 
saw that he actually had three wives. Well, yeah, probably in other places of the scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't give us everything right here. Doesn't give us. The thing about it is, sometimes you'll read something here, and then you'll go a couple of chapters over, and they'll give you more information, and, and that's what they do. It's progressive in a lot of places. Yeah. There's no telling. There's no telling. How many wives did Abraham have? We know he at least had two. Sarah and who? Keturah, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, Keturah. Yeah. So, you know. Yes, Matt. Well, the Esau became the Edomites, and most believe those people were wiped out. So a lot of people say don't try to because that people group was wiped out at a time. But, you know, just it's hard to figure out which Arabs came from which. I don't know if anybody says that they go back to, to Esau. I'm not sure anybody wants to. Now, a lot of them go back to Ishmael because Ishmael, Ishmael was Abraham's son, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael had 12 tribes, 12 sons that became 12 tribes, and, and they, uh, they fought with each other a lot and fought with other people, but a lot of Arab people uh, immediately say that they came from Ishmael and that the promise, Arabs most of the time say that the promise to Abraham was from God to Abraham, from Abraham to Ishmael, not Abraham to Isaac. But we have the scripture which shows us to Isaac and then on to Jacob and then on to Judah and on to David and then on through to Jesus Christ. What else? Anything else? Okay, read the next chapter because it'll it'll get you. You see a guy going out and taking goat skin, putting it on his hands so that when his daddy feels him, he feels hairy because his brother was hairy and he wasn't. He's going to fool his daddy. And he does, but he can't fool God. And his daddy can't fool God. It's powerful. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.